Welcome to Mad Toast Live, recorded in front of a live audience. We're at the Brink Lounge, 701 East Washington Avenue, right down the hill from the Capitol Building in Madison, Wisconsin. We're your hosts, I'm Mary Gaines, and this is Chris Wagoner. Hi, thank you so much for coming tonight. It's a beautiful night, not a cloud in the ceiling. Happy to be here. We're especially thrilled to have Tim Sizer back on the show. Tim Sizer Trio. Yep. Here we go. Thank you. 
the head sign so we were <laughs> that was great <laughs> well welcome back to the show Tim. thank you so glad to be back yeah, so you've been on the show a couple times this is the, my third time yeah first time as a leader usually i'm just the lowly side man <laughs> the bass player, the bass player. Yes. we usually have the spotlight on you though. oh that's all right yeah. i'm used to not being in the spotlight so i don't miss it actually it probably makes me feel weird if i'm I'm like what is this bright light on me yeah i'm not used I, to this i turned it away you know this. <laughs> yeah. you're accommodating thank yeah. you but so you've been the last couple times you're here with will dellis fort the dellis fort project yeah yeah with will dellis fort great piano player yeah um i've been lucky enough to do a fair amount of playing with Will. We, we met through Chicago when he was still living in the area, going to school, and then uh, he moved to New York doing the, the legit jazz thing. Yeah. And so he still comes back into the Midwest, and we get to play as much as we can. So. And, and so for, for those just meeting uh, Tim Sicer for the first time, you can check out... The website is timsicer.com. It's yeah. T-I-M-S-E-I-S-S-E-R. You got it. And uh, you're based in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, I actually grew up in the area and uh, have lived there my whole life. And, uh, you know, high school in the suburbs, about a year of junior college, and then it was uh, enough of that. And yeah. I'm next to this mecca of music. I might as well try to take advantage of it and, yeah. you know, get my feet wet. It was the sort of thing where, you, you know, you meet people at a young age when you have a, a certain amount of talent. You get to play with a, a good amount of people who are, uh, you know, years older than you. And for every person I met that said, you know, you should go to college and get a teaching degree. Someone else is like, unless you want to, you know, if you don't want to teach, don't go to college. Right. Just go play, you know. And then, you know, if you get beat up enough by the scene and you admit defeat, then <laughs> you can go get an engineering degree or something never, like that. Never, no. never. <laughs> no, I'm stubborn. Yeah. Now, I remember, we were talking about this actually last time we spoke, and 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 not to make light, not to make light of it or or anything at all, but. Uh, we were kind of joking a little bit about like about teaching. You know, we're all teachers, and and the NIU connections, yeah. right? And uh, and you kind of you were saying, and I'm just not a teacher. I don't like teaching that much. Yeah. And yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, knowing what you like to do. So you're so you're the performance, and you've got your head in that. And you are one of the uh, one of the gigginest bass players on the Chicago scene right now, playing with a lot of different bands. Yeah. Um, thankfully, I've been very lucky to to meet a very diverse group of people I've done, you know, currently I'm doing a lot of work with uh, like some Brazilian musicians, which is great because that's yeah. a whole new vocabulary of music that I've been able to learn and, uh, you know, trudging along doing the wedding scene and, you know, paying the bills with that stuff yeah. and then staying active in the jazz scene, which is great. And, and, you know, I play with some rock artists. We play the, you know, the usual Chicago clubs like Martyrs and, mm -hmm. and the House of Blues and the Hard Rock Cafe and all those, you know, so yeah. staying, you know, it's it's great being a bass player and living in Chicago because if you like I said if you have a certain amount of talent and hard work, there's no reason for you not to be playing all the time. Right. You know, as long as you're not you know, 
forcing yourself into a corner and only saying, I am just going to play jazz. Yeah. Or I am just going to play rock. Well, you know? I was, I don't know why mm-hmm. I was surprised. I shouldn't be at all because I know that's the way it was with, is with a lot of gigging musicians around here too and, and the same thing with us. But the fact that you, you play a lot of weddings, you've got a wedding band or a, a couple different ones? Yeah, I mean, I, I was in rotation with a lot of different bands. Now it's just there's one band that I've kind of more or less committed to because okay. they're pretty needy. They want you to, <laughs> they want you subbing out and disappearing yeah. for gigs. It's and, like, and it's good money. It's, it's, a, it's a good yeah. way to make a living. You know, yeah. the, the way I look at it for me is I'm not a teacher. Um, I can teach, but I'm more or less self-taught. So teaching yeah. for me is difficult because I don't really, I don't have the, 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 maybe the proper technique that most other teachers do. And, you you know, look like you have the proper really? playing technique. Yeah, I mean, that's, well, that's, that's just, you know, for me, that's, that's, the big, that's the big thing with it is it's like if people will come up to me and be like, well, teach me how to do this, teach me how to do that, and then I give them something, they come back the next week and they don't do it or they don't sound good. Well, what can I do to fix it? Well, go home and practice. Yeah, okay. You know? And that's like, that's, that's what I did. So, you know? so for yeah. instance, I mean, not to put you on the spot, but that I, I'm, I'm floored. I'm flabbergasted at that statement that you said that about the, the uh, uh, not schooled, self, somewhat self-taught. Yeah. What would be an example of, I mean, something that you do technically now that you think that probably is not, but obviously but it's not isn't slowing you down. Correct. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the, the funny thing about uh, the correct way, I mean, I guess like one thing you could say is concretely, you can concretely say this is not correct is when you look at someone's technique. Mm-hmm. And for me, my technique is corrected itself because I got tendonitis. And that's your body saying, you're not doing this right. So, so, you, so you, you just something? pay attention. Yeah, so you just kind of, you know. And, and the beauty is with the internet now is like, I just went online and was like tendonitis. And then it's yeah. like, here's what you can do. And then bass player tendonitis. And then you find articles by people who have gotten it or who had yeah. it and what they do to correct it. And, yeah. and then the other thing too is this stuff comes on and I just go around town and ask the people that I've been playing with. You know, a guitar player I know who lost feeling in his index finger and his right finger. Uh, from yeah. playing so many classical gigs and just really, you know, he just lost, like, completely lost all feelings. So he was showing me some stretches that you can do and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, uh, technique and that kind of stuff, it corrects itself. As far as, like, with the music, I always just prescribe to the school of if you want to learn how to play, just put on CDs and uh-huh. figure out how to play what other guys played. Yeah. And if you can play what they played, then you just learned how to do what they did. Were you, you know? scared when you went into the scene? Like yes, yeah, because I didn't know yes. anybody. I, okay. I had no idea. I did, like, I went to open mics, which is, if you're a bass player, that's not really a place to go to because it's more for, like, singer-songwriters and okay. stuff. I'd go up there and play bass, and people would be like, what is this? Well, <laughs> it's, you know, as, as far as the school of hard knocks is concerned, do you have any story or something? I should, I should have asked you about this before, but something that happened that, like, was, like, a, an aha moment, or, like, oh, my God, I can't believe, or... You know, that was a major learning experience just on the scene. There's that you wouldn't have learned had you not been actually playing. Or there's digging. so many. I mean, yeah. You know, I think it's like it, it's the sort of thing you can't you can't really find one. I can't really. I mean, there was one experience where I was able to go to uh, uh, Victor Wooten's base nature camp, yeah. which is this like week long getaway where you go out into the middle of the woods in Tennessee, and Victor Wooten's there, and Chuck Rainey, a great bass player, who played with Steely Dan and Aretha yeah. Franklin, and uh, you know, a few other guys are out there and, and they just, you know, break you down musically to like the most basic, like, here's what you should be worried about. Not theory, not scales, not notes, but like, wow. here is the deeper sense of music. And that was definitely like the biggest light bulb moment I've had. Yeah. You know, just being in the presence of those guys and listening to them talk was mm-hmm. definitely a light bulb. They don't bulb. have to prove themselves anymore. No, they have nothing. I mean, they're just like, you can listen and take advantage of this if you want. If not... Yeah. You're lost. And one guy left, you know, the camp the day before, yeah. and I was there with my notebook the whole time. And because he was like, "Oh, this is stupid." This is yeah. These are maybe yeah. he was intimidated by some of the other bass oh, players yeah. or what. But that was definitely the biggest. Uh, being also being someone who's self-taught, you know, I don't, yeah. I haven't had a lot of teachers to help flick on those light bulbs. So for me, a lot of those light bulb moments have just been through grinding, consistent work on yeah. like, you know, different. And actually, another one was uh, touring with Will. I learned more melodic about playing melodically touring with Patrick and Marquise Hill, yeah. Patrick Turbeck and Marquise Hill, just listening to those guys play on a nightly basis mm-hmm. and how they would play over these songs and how their ideas would evolve and, you know, yeah. 
And then just being in the car with these guys for like 12 hours and being like, so <laughs> what were you thinking about last night when you were playing over the, oh, you know, and you just yeah. trade, uh, trade ideas. So. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things that this has been such an incredible experience for Mary and I, you know, meeting all these different musicians, all walks of life, all kinds of different music and, and different perspectives and uh, yeah. hearing the stories. Uh, who's the band here? Let's, should, can we introduce yeah, the band? Yeah, of course. We've got Tom Stopker. I got the P in there. <laughs> on guitar. Hey. And uh, Pete right. Johnson. Hello, on drums. Yeah. And Tom is from Detroit. Pete is from Minnesota. And yeah. this is sort of my Midwest collective trio. Cool. I wanted to ask you, too, um, was that song you played one that you wrote? Yeah, that was an original composition of mine. It's called Less is More, More or Less. <laughs> and uh, That was great. Oh, thank you. I really liked it. It's, uh, it's going to be on my upcoming soon-to-be-released CD, which will hopefully be out September-ish. Okay. So. Well, you want to play a couple more yeah, tunes? Yeah, we'll talk a little more about the absolutely. album and everything? Definitely. All right. Next tune is uh, another one I wrote called uh, In Transition. Thank you. 
Holy shamoli. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Wow. That raised a lot of questions. I got a whole other sheet of things in my head here. Ah, go for it. That one was called Black Tar, by the way. That was, uh, I kind of, I recently hit a plateau, compositionally speaking, and I came to terms with the fact that everybody just steals from everybody else. So I stole those changes from an old jazz standard called, well, like the, the, the A section changes from a jazz standard called Red Clay. So I twisted yeah. it and called it Black Tar, and now it's an original <laughs> and I won't get sued. So right, it's a, it's a lovely thing. It's this. Yeah. Compositions. So, and if you folks didn't know that, you can't. There's a there's a law. You you um uh, you can't copyright chord changes. No. Right. So there are lots of jazz standards and a lot of a lot of folk tunes that are yeah. uh, the chord changes are the same. Yeah. But I and I wanted to ask you about the, the one before this. This that beautiful uh, three quarter time yeah. tune. Uh, what was that called? In transition. Okay. And yeah. are those going to be on your upcoming CD? Well. I have, actually, it's, I kind of have a mass of recorded music that I'm in the process of trying to get out. I have a, what is essentially a double disc that was all studio recorded that I started recording about two years ago. And uh, for mostly for financial reasons, it's kind of been put on temporary hold. But then I also have a live uh, disc of the band that I've been playing, my quintet, which is my Chicago band for the most part. Um, we have a live disc coming out that's going to be... Uh, recorded all at this place in Chicago called the Red Line Tap, and it's it's featuring um, that last song we just played, Black Tar, and the first song, Less Is More, and then a few other songs we're going to be playing. In transition is the studio, on um, the studio cut, whenever that ends up being released. Yeah. So I was wondering, are you one of those people who learned how to groove first, or was harmony your thing, or, or did they come together? Um, I started off really just... Um, playing in like rock and metal bands. That was kind of my earliest exposure to music. But I grew up in a house where my dad, who was not a musician, uh, has an immaculate jazz collection and an immaculate classical music collection. So growing up, I was always constantly, I mean, he would constantly play music. So some of my earliest musical memories are like hearing Miles Davis records and hearing like Pat Metheny records. I remember there was a, I think it's called Last Train Home. It's a Pat Metheny tune. And it was like one of the first songs I remember hearing and being like, wow, yeah. this music thing is kind of cool. Yeah. But obviously <laughs> you go through the rebellious teenage years and I wanted to play metal. And, and then I got into the more, when I started to kind of progress technically, I kind of noticed I had, uh, you know, some technical ease on the instrument that other people didn't. And I started getting more into like progressive rock, like um, Rush and uh, Dream Theater yeah. And those kind of guys, just simply because of the challenge of trying to figure out how to, I mean, the bass in most metal bands is like a uh, full frontal lobotomy patient <laughs> could play this stuff, you know, uh -huh. just like, sorry, you know, just doubling whatever yeah. the guitar is doing. So I was like, well, you know, let me try to figure out some harder stuff. And then that led into, you know, me digging around in my dad's and fusion collection and finding Mahavishnu Orchestra and Return to Forever and Jocko and, and that led into Miles Davis and jazz and then you know just kind of exploded from then on so. Well do you kind of remember what year it was when you got your groove? You I would I mean? I, yeah that? yeah I do I had. Like the, before you were struggling and then suddenly. Yeah. I, I kind of pinnacled at about sophomore year in high school we had this mm -hmm. huge jazz festival that we would do every year and I remember seeing this bass player who had a good amount of technical facility on the bass and uh, you know had a good pocket and I was like you know what I want to do that I, I can be as good as that guy so that was the kind of that was actually the point where I was like I'm, I went headstrong into playing music yeah. Yeah. and it just kind of took off from there you know got a lot of support a lot of compliments from people we did jazz combo competitions and people were always like your bass player is great your bass player is great you know listen to your bass player so i was like all right were you playing upright or electric uh, actually no i didn't pick up the upright until about my junior year of high school and that i mean i had some early lessons on electric but on upright i literally never took a lesson my entire life so okay. i was completely self-taught with that we were talking a little bit before the show and you know thinking about bass players and the and the, and the course that that instrument in particular has taken through the history of jazz yeah. very interesting i mean the up from from like Two two beat New Orleans, yeah. you know, upright bass, and then talking about uh, Jimmy Jimmy Blanton, 
uh, and and uh, um, Oscar Pettiford sort of um, uh, liberating the bass more or less, right? Yeah. From necessarily, or being very melodic and being actually being seen Taking as solos. a melodic solo instrument, right? Yeah. But then you had this whole other thing, and it, the electric bass comes along, and and Jocko, whoever, Mark Egan, Victor Wooten, well, yeah. and earlier earlier players than that. Too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the when you think about the infancy of the instrument, you know, when you compare it to other instruments that have been around, I mean, even the electric, electric guitar is still relatively new, but, yeah. I mean, there's been, like, Spanish and flamenco guitar that goes way, way back, you know? So the bass, I mean, and it's, in, you know, it's really, like, 50 or 60 years old now from the yeah. first. And if you think about it, like, you know, that's, like, pretty young for an instrument yeah. in general. So there's still a lot of ground that can be opened up, and there's still a lot of possibilities with the instrument and I think that's one of the, the best things about it is you know people have come along and kind of said this is the way it should be played but still there's guys <laughs> there's guys doing all kinds of crazy stuff with yeah. the bass so right. and fusion is we were, t we were laughing about this earlier too how how jazz unfortunately has also kind of gotten this name it's like if sometimes if you say well we play jazz it's like well you're going to have three people in the audience as opposed to 50 people right. or and it's even worse if you say fusion yeah the word fusion because it's like fusion is means how did you describe jazz, that right? that was really funny. it was uh Oh, man, it was like complicated and, and loud, yeah. and you know most most people can deal with complicated if it's quiet in a restaurant in the background. Yeah, you know, and I say this from experience. This is the only reason I feel like I can get away with this. Or they can deal with loud if it's you know if it's in a rock club or if yeah. it's like some slam and pop music or dance music. Right. But when you put the two of them together, or you get like the the other side of the fusion, which is the '80s. Uh, Pre-smooth jazz fusion, which is just like cheese balled right, right out. So yeah, <laughs> it's kind of. I mean, it's definitely a. Neg it has a negative connotation. I just, I just try to tell people. I, I mean, in in the end, you kind of. In the end, I've come to terms with the fact that there are aspects of jazz in my music that are very yeah. prevalent, and I'm. I've, I as much as you know, I don't want to turn certain people off. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you have to be honest with what you're doing, and there's a lot of improvisation involved, and that you know directly ties to the to the root of jazz and it's instrumental and. You know, I don't know what to call it, but I just call it good music. And well, and that's, that ties into what your concept for this, the, the album that you're working on, which it seems it's a little unusual. We were talking about too about um, um, f fusion artists. You know, uh, typically, or in the past anyway, have gone into the studio and and give a lot of leeway to. Like, I'm going to fix this solo. I'm going to do that, and they end up end up sounding pretty polished. Yeah. As opposed to approaching as a fusion artist approaching an album as actually a live album because you're you're improvising you're you're nailing it live just right. like you would and it's more raw yeah yeah which is yeah and one thing that i've tried to one thing with doing the studio recording was that i noticed you know the players were a lot of jazz improvisers are not very comfortable in a studio environment you know it's you don't have an audience you don't have that sense of being on the spot you're working with a headphone mix so a lot of horn players are not used to hearing their their horn in that context you know me. I plug in my. I plug. In, I plug in the headphones all the time, just so I don't bug people when I'm practicing. But horn players never do that. Right. So you all of a sudden throw a pair of headphones over their ears and tell them to interact like they would normally, and it's like you're not going to get it. So live recording, I think, is the way to go. And I really wanted to capture the essence of the band. You know, I've had so many people come up to me and be like, you, "This is weird. We're at a jazz club, but you guys are putting on a show." You know, mm -hmm. and I was like, all right, there's something here. You know, yeah. I would say thank you. Yeah, that's usually what I say first. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. And then I usually say, you want to buy me a beer? And then <laughs> it goes from there. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I just just an aside here. I I had a friend who was in Lincoln, Nebraska, um, and he had a band that was five bass players, and wow. you know what they called it? Thud. Thud. Yeah. Big bottom. Big bottom. Yeah. A quick question here to uh, to Pete. Oh no, sorry, oh, to, uh, Pete Johnson on the drums here, and Tom Stopker on the guitar. And and uh, we want to definitely talk to you guys, um, perhaps uh, more in the second episode. So people will be will come back. They're gonna ha we're gonna have two episodes with Tim Sizer here. Um, but a quick question for for Tom. Uh, talking about uh, about fusion. Uh, Larry Cart Larry Carl Carlton, Mike Stern, older players. Yeah. Influence at all or not? Uh, or? A little bit, you know. I mean, I, I kind of came up listening to like just a lot of like indie rock and like yeah. Led Zeppelin and The Who and Hendrix and a lot of hip hop and rap. And I don't know, I kind of gravitated towards the guitar because it seemed to be an instrument that could fit in a lot of musical situations. Yeah. And then just in my interest in 
furthering my understanding of the instrument, you know, I kind of started to check out jazz and stuff. And I, de I would definitely say Mike Stern, Larry Carlton, Wayne Krantz, Kurt Rosenwinkel, you know, Jim Hall, Wes Montgomery, like a lot of these classic jazz guys definitely had a major influence on just like understanding like the dimensions of how sweet you can be at the instrument, you know. And uh, I definitely took a lot from those guys as far as just feel, soul, you know, chord voicings and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I would say, yeah, they're Mike Stern, all those guys are yeah. definitely influences, you know, right. you know, just, uh, just trying to fit in where you can get in, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I'm, a good, I'm trying to, just, you know, Tim, Tim was gracious enough to give me a call, you know what I mean? Kind of. I heard you guys, you guys met at, at a gig at a festival? Uh, at a jazz club in Detroit, actually. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, and it worked out great, you know. And yeah. it, and it's been great to be. And I, and I love doing music like this. It uh, so often now I'm mainly just playing gigs where you know I'm just playing parts and just mm -hmm. holding down the show for an artist or you know playing not even guitar, just like mixing up a DJ yeah. set or whatever. So it's just great to be able to play gigs where I can just kind of just be free with the instrument with other musicians who have a very wide vocabulary and appreciation yeah. for different styles. So, yeah. Well, and Andy, our, our, Andy LaValle, our, our, our uh, engineer and, and producer, came up to me at some point and said, uh, about Pete, you're drumming, he said, man, that guy's hitting hard. <laughs> it, it doesn't even look like you're working. You know, you're like not even hauling back. Just, you're not in the PA. Did you realize that? You're not? No, you don't need to be. It's good. No. It's all good. It's well, all you know, good. It's the room. <laughs> yeah, it's the room. It's the room. It's the room. Uh, but yeah. we'll talk to y'all more. Uh, we we actually have time for one more tune this set, and we're gonna yeah. have come back with another episode of the Tim Sizer Tree. Sure, we're going to uh, we're gonna close up this set with a tune uh, I wrote called "Road Worn," um, which is actually a I wrote the song actually after getting off the road with uh, Will Dellis for it. We did a a one-off gig in Cincinnati where. I was probably being stupid and partying the night before and I woke up early and we did like a six hour drive to Cincinnati and then checked into the hotel, I crashed for like two hours, woke up, played the gig, you know, fell asleep, slept for three hours, you know, woke up, drove straight back home and I was just like <laughs> fried. My brain was fried. But for some reason I just had this idea in my head and just like somehow managed to write it all down before I passed out and woke up the next morning i was like wow that's pretty good and it became this song which is actually really hard to say uh, road worn if you try road to say worn. it five times fast road it's worn, road especially worn, on a microphone yeah especially on a lot of bass road, road, road worn it just ends up being hard yeah it's yeah. just a road, road. so yeah this is uh road worn right tim sicer
Tim Sizer Trio. Their album, current album, well, Tim's current album, Wire and Wood, is available, I'm sure, through his website. You just go to timsizer.com to find out more. T-I-M-S-E-I-S-S-E-R. New one coming out. Working on it. Studio recording. Um, this is just episode number one, so please check out episode number two. Uh, special thanks to Mr. Andy LaValle, Bear Sound, our producer and front of house engineer. Thanks to uh, the Brink Lounge here. 701 East Washington in Madison. And WORT, where we broadcast the show on Fridays from midnight to 2 p.m. 89.9 FM. That's right. In Madison, Wisconsin. Yep. And also to WORT HD. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>